Welcome to the Glassy Beauty Podcast. I'm your host, Liz Flora. If you've been into a CVS lately, you've probably noticed that the term drugstore beauty doesn't mean what it used to. These days, you can now find hip indie beauty startups joining the Maybellines and CoverGirls of the world on the shelves. Behind that strategy is Andrea Harrison, the VP of Merchandising for Beauty and Personal Care at CVS. For this episode of the podcast, Andrea talked about how CVS has been experimenting with new in-store formats, what beauty trends are on her radar, and what CVS looks for in startup brands ready to enter a major national retailer. We also talked about what happened when a product sold at CVS goes viral on TikTok. Here's the interview. Andrea, thanks for being here. Yeah, I'm super excited. Thanks so much for having me, Liz. So Andrea, you're the VP of Merchandising for Beauty and Personal Care. You've been in this role since 2020. Did you want to start by sharing a little bit about your background and how your career path led you to beauty? Sure, happy to. Um, I've been at CVS more years than I than I like to count sometimes. Um, but in that time, I've had the opportunity to work across all of our different business units. I stumbled here many years ago from consulting. Um, and found my way into our originally into our personal care business a number of years ago, and then had the opportunity to move to beauty. And it's one of those spaces as you as you move through a career as a merchant, you start to learn a love of product and a love of customer. And beauty was sort of the last horizon for me. It was the one space I hadn't worked in. And when I made the uh, that last final step into the beauty space, I, I knew I wasn't going back. It is the place where you get to do the most to create demand. And I think the product actually is the most exciting. Don't tell my peers that, of course, among everything that we do at CBS. Um, and and it's a place where we're constantly able to reinvent and help people reinvent themselves, which is unique. Um, and so found my way here kind of by accident, um, but definitely found a space that allows me to kind of marry my, my love of being a merchant with my love of customer and product all in the same place. And I've been looking forward to this conversation because in your role, you really have a bird's eye view of the biggest beauty trends in America. But before we get into that, just to take a look at the big picture, how large is the beauty and personal care category as a piece of CVS's overall business? Um, it's a little under a third of our total retail business when you look at everything we sell out of our retail environment. So that's a pretty important chunk. It is. It is. Um, and it's actually kind of an exciting part of, of what we do because it's also a way that customers sometimes interact with us for the first time. And CVS has been making some big investments in the physical store experience for beauty over the years. You launched the Beauty IRL shops in 2018. Did you want to give some background on those? How many stores are those in now and how do those work? Sure. So we put that model in about 165 stores. We did start back in 2018. And the objective at the time was to create an environment that allowed for more exploration and more discovery of brands and trends than we thought our customers were able to find in sort of traditional drugstore beauty. It was, it was a great format in that we were really focused on the customer's mindset at the time. Imagine if we can all try to remember back to 2018 when everyone was running busy, not that we're not now, um, but we're trying to to find a moment, right, as beauty shoppers to to explore for ourselves while we were serving so many others, children, parents, families, spouses. Um, and so we developed that model with that with that idea in mind of trying to grab a moment of respite for yourself to explore and and take time for yourself amidst a really busy existence. And when 
CVS was first coming up with this model. Uh, what were they looking at? Was it more of a department store or multi-brand beauty retailers? We were looking at both. We were looking at all of the different ways the customer experienced beauty in, in different outlets and tried to think about how we could bring the best of that to more of a convenient environment, right? She might be in our store running to the pharmacy, grabbing cough cold for someone in her family, picking up a prescription or something from our photo area and and looking kind of, you know, longingly at the beauty space, wishing she could find a few minutes for herself and to make it an environment that she wanted to go kind of wander around and explore that wouldn't necessarily take her from all of the other people and things that she was accountable to in her life. And tell us about the features in the beauty IRL shops, because when it first launched, there was a K-beauty shop, a bath bomb area, a trend wall, all these fun little areas. What features do they have right now? Yeah, I, I love that you remember all that. <laughs> We've been continually evolving that model over the last couple of years. And so we still have a really big focus on our color cosmetics. We continue to evolve and test different brands in that space outside of our iconic brands, of course. Um, we also have expanded skincare in those stores, expanded hair care. We tend to test new brands in that space. So from an experiential standpoint, you might wander through a beauty and real life store and find an end cap of um, maybe cleaner type products than you um, that you might not find all of in our other stores. We like to use it as a bit of a, a sandbox to see what our customers like, what they choose to interact with. And then we decide from there whether or not we would like to scale to other doors. That model, though, um, we use exclusively for that. But we did learn a whole bunch from um, from that beauty in real life experience about how customers use us, how we can attract younger customers by amplifying the experience around them. Um, and, and what it taught us, you know, kind of in a post-pandemic moment of, of looking back was there was probably more and different we could do. Um, so we have some other things kind of in motion today that are taking that idea of beauty in real life and building on it um, in ways that are a little bit more skincare focused, more healthcare focused. Yeah, tell us more about those. You have just recently rolled out a new skincare program in 2020, right? Did you want to give more details on how that works? Yes, I would love to. This has been a bit of a pet project. So as you mentioned at the start, I took over this business in 2020. And it was an odd time to move into this role because the beauty customer, as we knew them when we developed Beauty in Real Life, was in a different place. We've seen this inextricable link now of beauty and wellness and healthcare and it's hard to take those things apart for the customer. And there wasn't really a retail environment that was bringing them together. And so what we saw was an opportunity to create a destination, a place in the store that provided different levels of access, different levels of experience to bring the sort of health-focused end of skincare along with the problem-solution components of skincare and the fun and service that you can find as you're working through exploring what's best for you. And so when we created the skincare center, we basically said we're going to make a shop-and-shop -shop experience that is focused on bringing our skin innovations to the forefront and thinking about consumer needs at the same time with some different aspects. So tools, education, and elevated product as well. So you'll find in those stores um, some prestige product that you won't see in mass retail, but you'll also see that among kind of the best of mass and mastige, which we had a pretty good foothold in before, but really found that focusing on it and being able to let product be hero and train our beauty consultants in those stores, many of whom are also licensed estheticians, on what those products do. What are the heroes? What are the best products to serve different customer needs? We've been able to create a really differentiated experience that doesn't exist in mass quite that way anywhere else. Um, and that allows us to provide a degree of service that you won't find, generally speaking. 
And how many stores are the skincare centers in? Are those in the beauty IRL stores or is it something different? So today they're in three stores. Most of them are beauty IRLs. It was actually a very tiny sort of pilot concept. I had to scurry around to get off the ground in the midst of, of an environment that was very focused on getting the country kind of post-pandemic at the time. Um, but we were able to do that. And we've seen such tremendous response, not just from brands and customers, but the industry at large, which was really fascinating to me because it told me we hit on the right thing, that there is an unmet need for bringing access to skin health in a way that didn't exist before. And so um, within those three stores, we'll also add some additional doors later this year. Um, we've got tools like a skin scope, which was supplied to us by our, fo- our friends at L'Oreal ACD. Um, and they help train our beauty consultants so they actually can work with customers, put their, their skin right in that. It's kind of like a giant box, for lack of a better way to explain it, um, and, and help customers understand what's going on with their skin and make product recommendations based on what they observe. And can people get services there? No, we stopped short of services um, outside of kind of sales service and support for decision making um, at this point in time. Today, that's the case. If these stores over the course of time, as we add them to um, our boxes that have minute clinics in them, they actually can um, reach out to our minute clinic clinicians for help with more clinical skincare needs, such as eczema and rosacea, things like that. And what about the beauty IRL side? Do you have services there anymore? I know that it launched with services before the pandemic. Where is it at now? Yeah, so we still have our ear piercing service in those stores. Um, We have sunset the other kind of beauty services that we were doing in those stores. I think what we saw is post-pandemic, the customer response to services, when we all lived it, right? We we stopped getting our hair colored. We stopped getting our hair cut by professionals over time. And what we saw was it just wasn't the right moment in time for us to offer that. The customer had become really skittish and was kind of slowly wading her way back into those things. And so we decided to kind of pivot our focus and make sure that the same resources that we were kind of pulling in multiple directions to provide those were able to really focus on getting educated on things like skincare, like helping customers navigate kind of complicated waters there. And what are the best locations for these pilot programs? Where do you have the skincare centers? So today we have them kind of in more urban areas on the on the coasts, which is usually where we start. And, and that was really just to learn. Today, that, that first step was to see what was the customer interaction? What was the industry response to it? Does, it? does it work for us? Can we handle this model? Can we get it staffed appropriately? Do customers use a skin scope or do they, are they looking for other tools? And so step one was really build this and learn from it so that we can figure out what are the places and ways, what are the things that are working best for us so that we can go put this in different markets depending on the needs for access in those places. And what about the brands at the skincare centers? What are the hot brands that people are interested in? Um, so we've seen really great uptake across a number of things. Interestingly enough, so we do have brands like Wander and Volition, which people are, are loving to explore. Some of our customers kind of know them tangently, but aren't super familiar. So it's been nice to kind of introduce customers to those brands. Um, we have a whole set around Um, melanated skin, which we think is really exciting. And what's been really interesting about that too, is we've been able to introduce some sun product as well to customers who sometimes struggle to find sun care product that's appropriate to their skin tone. We've added that to that space as well. Um, Beyond that, we have a couple of other traditional brands like our our Mastige friends, uh, La Roche-Posay and Vichy, as well as some really well-known clinical mass brands like Proactive and CeraVe, whose 
histories and legacies are really well known to customers. And sometimes they're still a little surprised to find them in our stores. Um, and sometimes what they know about those brands do- isn't enough by itself to get them over the hurdle. But the human that stands there and helps them navigate can help them find the right product for them. And it does help customers get over that initial trial. And so we're seeing just tremendous growth out of some of those brands in those doors. And tell me about the number of brands on your roster. So in the stores with pilot programs, about how many beauty brands do you have? And how does that compare to a typical CVS store? Oh, my gosh. I don't even know that I have a count of brands. I mean, we, we stock 8,000 SKUs in our cosmetics aisles in an average store alone, for context. So it does get, does get large quickly. Um, I would say we probably at any point in time rough and tough, probably have 10-ish additional brands in the skincare centers. And at any point in time, probably rough and tough, maybe 20 brands more in a beauty and real life that are featured. Um, And those are, you know, on things like end caps and displays and ways where customers can interact. But those stores typically have expanded sets. So you'll find um, some different SKU counts and choices across every brand we carry in those stores. And I feel like I'm getting emails every day from trendy indie brands announcing their launches at CVS. I can tell that you guys are really experimenting with new startup brands. As a major national chain, why is it important to feature all these newer brands? So at the end of the day, we make our brand decisions based on what our customers are looking for. What we're finding is that customers are both at moments looking for brands they trust and recognize and, and they're tried and true, where they, they have faith in the, in the brand name and they're comfortable with it. And in other cases, there are customers and sometimes the same customer who's looking for something different, right? They're, they're hearing from these brands in their DTC channels. They're on social media. They're talking to friends who've tried them. And so for us to really live into serving the beauty customer, we feel like we have to have a balance of iconic and indie to make sure that we are covering kind of all the bases that our customer expects to find as they kind of move through their beauty journey with us. And how has the customer evolved over time in terms of interest in beauty brands? Like, how is it different from 20 years ago? So there are so many more brands to choose from, um, which I think is actually kind of a, a great thing and an intimidating thing for customers, right? So there are customers who are deep, deep, deep in this space that spend tons of time on social and they know all the brands and they know exactly what they see when they walk in. But I think the average customer isn't quite that engaged all the time. And so, you know, I think they have a growing familiarity with ingredients, with no-nos in some cases that they see and hear through the different things that they interact with in their lives, but they don't always um, have as an intense an education in, in the new brands and the new things that are out there. And so I think the customer knows more than they did before, for sure. Um, but also our customer based on just the the many things they sometimes are balancing, um, are, are kind of in a place of, of tangent familiarity with some brands, but sometimes need to, you know, see it on our shelves to say, hey, you know what? I know I've seen this around somewhere or in a couple of places. And now that I'm seeing it here, maybe today's the day I'm going to pick it up. So I think we play sort of a an interesting role in that evolution in terms of we're not always the first place she's seen it, um, but hopefully we are the place that helps her get over the hurdle to decide to actually go discover it for herself. Yeah. And for the indie brands, what does it mean for their visibility? Because obviously the iOS changes on Instagram make advertising so much harder. So I've talked to so many brands that say retail is necessary, where before maybe they were more into the D2C model. So what does it mean for them to be able to be on the CVS shelf? 
I think it's been really beneficial to many of them. I think both for that that getting the customer to drive trial and maybe some new ways, but also for the customer that maybe wouldn't have seen the most other channels, to your point, given some of the things happening in the in the broader DTC marketing spaces. Um, I think being on our shelves provides, you know, a, I believe a ton of great visibility. Think about we have as many as 8,000 stores. We do, I will say most of the, our, our newer brands do start in smaller door numbers. We do like to to help them sort of get introduced to retail in as safe a way as we can. It is a very different model than DTC in many cases. Um, but we'll, we'll start them in a couple of hundred stores and then a couple of thousand stores and so work with them to kind of grow scope. But it does provide visibility to their brands for millions of customers. The latest number is probably close to 5 million a day that walk through our doors. And so being on our shelves, even if it doesn't provide conversion on that first trip in, can actually provide a ton of visibility and, and help customers grow awareness over the course of time as they get to the point where maybe they decide to jump in and try something new. And what are the criteria you're looking at when selecting a brand? So we're looking at a couple things. We love for brands to kind of have have their legs under them a little bit. Um, again, thousands of stores can be really overwhelming. <laughs> so we, we love for brands that, um, that know what they're getting into. Um, but we also, from a customer standpoint, try to look for what are the white spaces? What are the... Um, Areas of the assortment that the existing mass brands, the iconic brands, aren't filling for them today. Very often that lately has been in innovation through formulation or through um, even the approach they're taking to formulating, which has been an interesting thing to observe. So we're looking for, and finally, I actually would say we're looking for brands that have brought some degree of um, accreditation to the story. One of the things I think is most interesting, I'm sure we can talk more about this too, but is the sort of skinification of the entire beauty space. And so, so often when we see new brands, we're hearing, I worked with a dermatologist, I worked with this series of dermatologists, this series of experts. And so for us, given our clinical heritage, the ability to bring brands like that to life becomes really important because it ties really nicely with what we hope to stand for broadly and provides kind of a point of difference in terms of what we'll put on the shelf. And what beauty trends are on your radar? What trends are you looking for in brands these days? Oh my goodness, so many things going on. It's been such a great start to the year. But if I think about some of the few that are taking shape, I think the most clearly for us right now, um, inclusion without a doubt. We're seeing product formulated with skin of color in mind and everything from sun to hydration, which has been a really great evolution of the space. You know, on a personal note, my my children are biracial and I've lived a little bit of the experience of getting them to wear sunblock that doesn't have a white cast or, or helping my 13-year-old find acne product that doesn't, you know, leave a scar on her skin. And it's been really phenomenal to see how quickly this space is evolving and how much attention there is to formulating for all skin tones. So we're super excited about that. And that trend is definitely growing for us. We continue to see a love of clinical and derm I think customers today more than ever look for that accreditation, look for the, the safety and the trust that comes with a doctor, a pediatrician, a dermatologist telling them this is a brand that's safe for you that you can go buy. So we continue to see a, a huge focus there. Um, also seeing trends around what I would call almost crowdsourced formulation. So as these new brands are coming up, they're bringing users into the storyline as they're creating the formulations so that what comes out at the end is something that real customers have said works for them and meets the needs that they have, which is, which is great, right? Because it's actually re- putting a really different focus on the kinds of ingredients that are being used, the harshness or lack thereof, even the packaging in a lot of cases. So we've been excited about that. We continue to see growth in scalp. It's kind of a, a burgeoning trend that we're starting to see, but I think it's a piece of that skinification story, kind of expanding very quickly beyond skin and cosmetics to hair care as well. 
Um, and that skinification, in the last trend I would say, is that skinification of cosmetics that I think has been kind of floating for a couple of years now, but continues to become bigger and bigger as we see, you know, traditional skincare ingredients make their way into cosmetics. And what are some of the highlights of recent brand launches with these trends? Oh my gosh. So it has been probably the best like Q1 that I can recall in terms of new brands coming to shelf. And so forgive me, because I'm probably going to rattle off a list of them at you. Um, but there's definitely a bunch of things we're excited about right now. So Proactive has been a really great start for us. And while it's not a new new brand to the universe, it is definitely one that brings the best of clinical heritage to the customer. And so we were excited to be the first drugstore to actually offer that product and have continued to see customers really pick it up. They still know that name. It's amazing to me how, how deep the roots go for it. And so that's been particularly exciting. Um, that acne space in totality has been super hot. So we've continued to see amazing growth out of brands like Hero Cosmetics, um, which is an acne and skin for us. We Starface has been just phenomenal. And again, household with a near teenager in it, we go through more of those little dots than you could possibly imagine, um, which has been fun to watch kind of firsthand too. And then finally in the acne space, we've seen tremendous success with Bubble out of the gate. Um, and so we're really excited about that. Again, that to me is a really good example of that sort of crowdsourced formulation and a, a package that really speaks to its target customer. So that's been a really great start for us. We also this year launched John Legend's Loved One, which um, to the point about formulating product with kind of skin of color in mind was really um, a phenomenal thing for us to be able to do, knowing, having heard directly from the folks that formulated about how they thought about it, how they thought about making sure that it was good for everyone, but that it had really addressed the hydration needs of darker skin. Um, so we're excited to bring that to life because it is not just formulated for darker skin, but also kind of brought to life with a genderless perspective, um, which I think, you know, as we think about inclusion is yet another important point that perhaps beauty aisles have been very pink or blue personal care as well. Um, and so we were really excited to see that. We thought it was a really interesting white space. So that's been a super exciting launch for us this year. Along similar lines, we've launched our own brand called One Another, which is covering all of your beauty basics and I, I can't imagine that I ever thought I'd be talking to you about nail clippers and tweezers. But one of the things we observed was that that was yet another space that actually had become really kind of genderized and wasn't necessarily reflecting the, the broad sort of desire for self-care that we're seeing across the market. And so we made a pretty hard pivot on that brand to make sure that it was accessible to everyone. And so you'll see some things coming from us there this year, too, that actually make it accessible to those that maybe struggle to actually physically use the tools. So lots more coming there that we're excited about. Um, Oh my goodness, I could keep going, but maybe I'll one or two others that we're excited about. And from a brand standpoint, we continue to see body care and that self-care kind of me time thing grow for us. And so we've added both Raw Sugar and Tree Hut this year, which I know have both been around for a while, but we're new to our customers for sure and seem to be really exciting people with their positioning on slightly cleaner, maybe a little bit more natural, um, but also really great experiential products. So they're giving folks that that moment of, of respite that they might find in the shower that they might not have found otherwise. Yeah, you definitely have a lot going on. So let's talk about the acne part first. Obviously, Gen Z is such a huge consumer of acne products. How are Gen Z shopping these days? We've read so much about how they're actually going back into the physical stores. They're much more interested in going into physical stores than online. What have you seen with that? 
So from a Gen Z standpoint, they are actually 100% in stores much more frequently than I think maybe some prior generations. I think the store for them is still new and a little bit of almost uncharted territory. Some of them have stumbled into this Gen Z moment during the last few years, or maybe they couldn't be in stores quite so much. And they really enjoy the experience. Um, one of the things I think is also true is we are very much seeing them with with what we're reading. We're seeing their desire for value. We're seeing that they you know, want efficacy, but they're concerned about what's in it, how much they're paying. And so it's been really great to be able to bring some of these acne brands to life because I think we're creating that first moment where Gen Z starts to interact and make decisions about who they'll shop with and where and when. Um, and to be able to bring those things to life that they're excited about has hopefully helped open the door for us and for some of these brands with this consumer who is just starting to make their purchasing decisions that'll impact how they shop for probably the rest of their lives. And what is the role of TikTok in driving product sales trends? Obviously, there was such a huge moment with CeraVe in 2020 with TikTok. Do you actually see stuff sell out when it goes viral on TikTok? Is this a real trend? 100%. I cannot tell you that what happens on our team when something starts to go viral, the series of text messages that rapidly fly around the team so that we can make sure that we have product in the right place at the right time. So for example, there've been a couple of really big hits this year, right? There was a L'Oreal telescopic earlier this year, um, which started to move very quickly. Like as soon as it was on displays in our stores, it was leaving the door. It was just wild how quickly that was moving. And then also this year, a Maybelline Superstay powder went viral earlier this year as well. And same thing, we see almost an immediate reaction particularly when it's kind of a drugstore classic. I think we're kind of a go-to, obviously. And so um, it's actually been really fun to watch. It's probably one of the most fun and unnerving parts of my job some days because there's no way to know what's going viral next. And so we continue to just stay as engaged and stay as close as we can and, and do our best to react and make sure we can service customers when they see something they're excited about. If they stop in a CVS that night, we want to have it on the shelf. So have you seen anything sell out completely? Yeah, for sure. I would say actually almost every time something has gone viral, if we don't have it in full distribution yet, we'll we'll see our, our CVS.com inventory depleted completely, almost immediately. Um, we're fortunate enough, it, once something is kind of at scale, that with 8,000 stores, and most of this product is in most of the stores, we're typically pretty well stocked to be able to continue to service customers. Um, but Depends how big the demand is, right? Sometimes it actually is so big it impacts supply, and that's where we get in a little bit of trouble. We all do, um, which is you know kind of fun to watch in some ways as well. Um, to see so much customer excitement generated by one person interacting with it socially is um, is really amazing, actually. That's so wild. So, do you have people on your team monitoring TikTok daily to see what's going to take off, and and what is the reaction like? Do you get those products like in the front of the display or what? what's the process for reacting to TikTok these days? Yeah, I think it's evolving because I think we continue to learn every time something goes viral. Um, the entire team is comprised of beauty lovers, right? We wouldn't, we couldn't talk about this stuff all day long if we didn't love the space that we were in. And so they are all, every single member of my team, I would say, is on TikTok. Maybe it certainly doesn't spend all day watching it, but absolutely is engaged. We talk to each other. We talk to other people in the industry. Obviously, our suppliers are a big piece of that story, so they know when something starts to pop as well. 
And then we'll very quickly on our side start to get in touch with each other so everybody's aware. And then we'll engage our inventory teams to make sure we can get more product out to stores as quickly as possible. We'll try to increase orders to make sure that we can actually get the product. We don't always, we're not always able to react quickly enough to move it to the front. But one of the things as we kind of learn and write the playbook as we go for TikTok, how we can kind of educate our beauty consultants so that they can find the product quickly, they can help move it up, they can help a customer who's coming in looking for something that might have been abstract a week ago that now everybody's running in the door asking for. Um, we try to leverage them as well to help create that that education and that that path for the customer once they get to a store. That's so wild. And then obviously when we're recording this, um, TikTok is under scrutiny because it might possibly be banned. So when this airs, who knows if we'll still have TikTok anymore. <laughs> but what about other platforms? Are you only seeing this on TikTok? Like if TikTok goes away, would this happen on something like a Reels or a YouTube Shorts? Or is this like very specific to this app? You know, we're not seeing it anywhere else yet, but I have to believe that the customer will move and there's still a desire to, to interact with it. So do I know what platform it'll be? No, probably not. This Right today, the platform we see the biggest reaction to is TikTok, but probably pre-TikTok, we were seeing maybe not quite the same. But we were seeing reactions similar when something went big on Instagram in a moment in time. And so my hypothesis is that if it isn't TikTok, it'll be whatever the next platform is that the customer decides is right for them. But there's clearly so much desire among the customers for someone to, to help them navigate and decide what to pick and decide what's great because there are so many choices that I am firmly of the belief that customers will find a way to get that information from each other, from influencers, from people that they trust in order to help make those decisions. Yeah. And then obviously influencers and celebrities have such a huge impact on people's buying habits. Tell me about celebrity brands because you talked about John Legend. We had John Legend on the podcast a few weeks ago. What kind of potential do you see in celebrity-owned brands and influencer brands? We see, I think, a really interesting dynamic. They have so much reach, right? And so much of what creates excitement for people is somebody that they think they aspire to be like or that looks like them or seems like they have a life they would like to have. That's who customers aspire to, to be when they make these product choices very often. And so I think, you know, the celebrities and influencers with really big reach have a lot of power because they have tons of customers, millions of customers in a lot of cases, looking at them and saying, that, that looks like me, or I'd like to be like that, or, or I'd like to have skin like that. And so they, that reach is really powerful. And I think that reach very often can help customers, you know, see something that, that feels familiar and go make a choice to buy something or try something new. And, and very often when they're behind a particular product, it can be really powerful. And what brands are your biggest sellers overall these days? Oh my goodness. Okay. So lots of exciting things going on. Like I said earlier, we've had a really great start to the year. So most of um, what I rattled off earlier are actually not just new and exciting, but are actually some of our best sellers right now, which is very cool. Um, we continue to see strength with products like Myel, um, right? So that whole line has been really strong. Obviously the textured hair customer kind of growing really rapidly and, and constantly exploring and looking, looking for new product. And so the Myel, the Rosemary Mint Scalp and hair strengthening oil has been huge for us. Um, and again, speaking to the scalp, speaking to a cleaner formulation. So lots going on within that product that has been um, kind of reinforcing our, our opinion of where the trends are going. Um, so that's been a great one. Another hair one has been a real um, kind of basic, for lack of a better word, but the L'Oreal Everpure Purple. 
So customers are still still highlighting their hair and still worrying about what shade it comes out at the end. Um, and still we're seeing a lot of love around toning. So that that trend has stuck for us. Um, and that's pretty much the, the big guys that we're seeing right now in the hair care space outside of some indie brands. So we continue to still see success with Monday and Native and some of the other brands we brought to shelf last year. But beyond hair care, um, cosmetics is always obviously a big piece of our business. The cosmetics business had such a tough start to 21 that the almost revenge cosmetic shopping, if you can call it that, that we're seeing this quarter has been it's been kind of fun to watch. But again, we're seeing Telescopic from L'Oreal um, as a big hit. We're seeing the Maybelline Superstay continue. We're also seeing so much love for Elf, which I'm sure is not a surprise. Um, and I think underscores one of the other trends that's happening with customers where they're looking for you know, prestige quality, prestige type experience, but they want to swap it for a product they can find with ease and pay a drugstore price. And so Elf is really bringing that to the table. So the um, primer grip has been huge and continues to be kind of a fan favorite that's been good for us this year. Um, oh my gosh, what else? I think those are the big guys in cosmetics. And then as I think about skincare and acne, acne has been just um, a phenomenal space. And I think it, it tells us that customers weren't finding stuff that worked for them before. And so when I see this much love and this much excitement for so much new and we see repeat buying, it's actually a really great sign that we find we've hit the mark in terms of the assortment and that the product is the right formulation. And so we continue to see Hero in that space again and Bubble and Starface and all of these great new things we've brought to life recently um, really resonate with our customers. And finally, I think from a skincare standpoint, um, I would touch on also sun care has been a really rapidly growing space too. It's nice to see, knowing kind of our clinical heritage, it's been nice to see customers excited about sun care and see customers adopting more frequent use. It is so important for the prevention of skin cancer to put my you know healthcare hat on here for a second. Um, but what's great about that too is we're seeing lots of new formulations come to market so that it works for everybody. It's not always a great experience or it wasn't always historically a great experience to wear sun care on your face every day, for example. So we're seeing some really great things like the Roche-Posay's Anthelio Sunscreen Melt-in Milk, which has a really lighter texture, has a much lighter texture, um, has uh, a just much more blendable experience that can be used by skin tones across the board. And so we're excited about that too, because not only is it great product, but it's great product that's helping people get to a better healthcare outcome too. And it's funny, you mentioned quite a few viral TikTok products in that list. Obviously, the e.l.f. primer and the hair oil yeah. um, are also products. So it's crazy to see that kind of TikTok trend everywhere these days. You also mentioned you recently launched your in-house brand. Did you want to talk about what you had before and how you rebranded that in-house brand? Yeah, sure. I, I would love to do that. That's an interesting space that we saw so historically, right, we we sold the stuff most retailers sell. We had nail clippers and tweezers and cotton balls and all the basics that you need to support your beauty routine or your personal care routine. And over the course of the last couple of years, what became really clear to us was that everybody engages in this, even though the packaging and the positioning, even the name, it was under our Beauty 360 label, which, you know, had a very feminine feel. Um, and while certainly people can take the package off and throw that away and you get the package that's left, it isn't always the best most inclusive shop for people that don't resonate with packaging that feels extremely feminine or even extremely masculine for that matter. And so when we recognized that we were missing the mark ourselves on an opportunity to be inclusive, we took a step back and said, how could we rethink about the importance of personal care basics, self-care basics that appeal and are required almost by everybody in a way that didn't make them so narrowly focused? And it actually changed our lens on how we think about beauty in general a little bit to step back and say, 
everybody shops this space. How do we make sure that it feels welcoming to everybody? And so we rebranded that line, one another. Um, It's spelled out one and other, one plus other. Um, But the goal was to create something that anybody could feel comfortable picking up and putting on a register to have a, a cashier check out on the way out the door. And so what's been great about that is very rarely do we have a chance to blow up an entire positioning that way and really put the customer at the center of it quite the same way that we did. And so really excited about just the fact that we were able to rethink something that had become almost white noise that had been around for so long. So I'm excited to see what we're bringing to life there. We actually worked internally within our organization with our colleague resource groups to get their input on making sure that we brought packaging and experiences to life that really felt inclusive. So that's not something we get to do every day either. So it's been a really cool experience to work through that over the last probably two years in order to get that to market. And you touched on price consciousness as well. We've been hearing so much about inflation changing people's spending habits. We've seen the dupe trend take off on social media. Are you able to track whether this has an impact on CVS's beauty sales? Are you seeing this kind of behavior among your customers? I think we see it most clearly in what they buy. The proof is always in the pudding for us there in that sense. And so when we see things like the Elf Primer take off or some of the other products across the assortment that we might we might classify as sort of swaps, right? A place where a customer could decide instead of going out and making their Prestige purchase, they're going to buy something on a, on a drugstore shelf. And so as we see where the volume goes, we're seeing very similar trends. I think we have a lot of... Um, expectations that we'll continue to see that as customers remain value conscious, but they don't really want to trade off or sacrifice in these spaces. And actually, we're really excited that we have so much great product that actually can fill these needs very often, you know, under 15, under 20, under $30 to meet whatever need it is that a customer has, that they actually will feel great about the outcome without having to spend a ton. And they can do it, at least in our doors, for sure, while they're taking care of other other people in their lives, the other things going on, and can do so with convenience, which we think is a really powerful place for us to be. And then how premium are you interested in going? You mentioned some kind of more premium brands in your skincare centers. What are you thinking in terms of that space? It is amazing to me sometimes when we will test something that goes to the $40, $50, even $60 end of the scale that we do see pickup. And so it's a good reminder, I think, for us that, that as a retailer of our size, we serve everybody, every age range, every demographic range, every economic range. And so we'll continue to try to meet the customer, our customer, where they are. And so if there's demand among our customers for brands that start to push kind of slightly into that 50 plus price point, we'll go there cautiously, um, but making sure it's the right product. Right? I'm certainly not going to necessarily push the, the high end of the spectrum for the sake of pushing it. We want to bring things that the customer wants and that they're excited to find in our doors and that, that work for them in terms of the price point. So it's a constant balance. And you've been upping your roster of premium brands? Yep, we definitely have seen, you know, a little bit of growth in that space, particularly with the advent of the skincare centers. Although everything in that space doesn't necessarily even push those price points. Like I said, we're featuring Proactive pretty extensively there. And that that remains pretty reasonable in terms of price points. Um, but we are seeing um, uptake in things that are in that $50 plus price range too. And what's the marketing strategy around CVS Beauty. Do you work with beauty influencers? Are you looking at influencers that are 
marketing kind of more affordable options. Do you have a marketing plan for kind of getting the word out about your brand selection? Of course we do. <laughs> um, yeah. So we we work with influencers like everybody else does. For us, our influencer selection kind of always starts with whether or not the influencer is willing to participate with our our commitments to transparency. So all of our influencer content is subject to our beauty mark commitment, which we haven't talked about, which we probably should pause on somewhere here. Um, but that's sort of the, the first gate for our influencer choices. And then we think about what influencers that we're picking speak to our customers, speak to the customers that we think are most likely to find their way into, into CVS. And, and what can we help use those influencers and their reach to educate customers that we have on our shelves? And so it becomes, it becomes a, a dance or a balance like anything else, trying to figure out what is the right combination of market that they're targeting in terms of age range and product selection and even look that people are trying to achieve. So we've got to cover the range on that as well. But we also think about it on an everyday basis, and then we think about it on a seasonal basis too. So sometimes we'll partner with our supplier community and work with their influencers and try to drive to CVS because sometimes that helps also grow the understanding of what's on our shelves in a way that our influencer community may or may not be able to. Yeah, tell us about the Beauty Mark commitment because I know we've talked about this when I did a story on the backlash against filters. How do you apply the Beauty Mark commitment to social media? And and tell us where it's at in store as well these days. Yeah, so we started it in 2018. And at the time, it was our commitment to as we say, kind of a, the health of the next generation, right? And so we weren't we stopped using filtered imagery on anything that we created, any of our assets, and we required that our suppliers either follow our same rules and, and chose not to digitally alter their images. And if they did, they had to label them digitally altered so that customers could experience imagery that they knew was real. There's, you know, so much around what happens when people are exposed to filtered imagery over time that we felt like we had an obligation to start to make change. And so today, 100% of the imagery in our stores is compliant. And by compliant, I mean either it's beauty unaltered and it has our little heart seal of approval on it, or it's labeled digitally altered so that anybody looking at that image can know that isn't a real person that looks quite that way, that we did something happened after the fact to make that outcome. Um, And so that's true of our assets in store, but we also require that our influencer community follow the same rules. And so our influencers can't filter, can't go back and and edit out in their imagery. We've had influencers to the tunes of of millions of images and impressions at this point where what they've put out in the world has been unaltered and met our unaltered standards. And so that is a really critical part of us kind of holding up our end of the bargain for that commitment. And you've also worked with mental health experts on this too, right? Yes, we have. So we started the beauty mark again back in 2018 and it was really focused on beauty imagery. But it, one of the things that we all experienced was staring at ourselves on a screen while we're talking to somebody else for the last couple of years. And what it created, or a curiosity that it created, I should say, for us, was not only what happens when people look at altered images, what happens when they look at themselves all day long? And so what we learned is that customers really started to to become very self-critical as they were staring at their own image and as they were consuming tons and tons of social media in those kind of primary pandemic years. And they were becoming really critical of themselves and really questioning, you know, what was real and what was a what was a realistic expectation. And so what we saw was that the impacts and the conversation we started around Beauty Mark became more relevant than ever because that 
impact of imagery in every form was impacting people's self-confidence. It was impacting their, their overall mental health, whether or not they felt engaged or depressed or confident, all of those things. Um, and so for us, it actually has been a, a, a pivotal part of that beauty mark movement, obviously still 100% committed to transparency. But our our reasoning today is actually much more focused on making sure that we are part of this critical conversation around mental health, serving the millions of customers that we do every day, having the reach that we do in a space like beauty that contributes so much to imagery and social. We've been talking about TikTok, you know, nonstop for the last half hour, making sure that um, that we're leveraging our influence for good and that we're putting good out in the world and, and trying to leverage that influence to continue to make sure that others think about it when they put images out there too. I wanted to wrap up by getting your take on bigger picture beauty trends. It feels like in the past few years, we've seen this roller coaster in terms of category sales. During the pandemic, everyone was buying skincare instead of makeup. Now, as you mentioned, there's some revenge spending on makeup. What are you seeing with sales at CVS? What are your biggest categories right now? So I would say we're continuing to see the revenge spending happen in, in color cosmetics. I think people have a desire for self-expression that maybe was a little bit suppressed. And there's so much great happening from a product standpoint right now. Um, that I think people are excited to try it. They have new ways to learn about it, right? TikTok, as long as the things keep coming, people will keep trying when the innovation is great. And so we continue to see cosmetics be a, a big piece of our growth right now. We also continue to see a ton of growth across skincare. I know I've mentioned acne a couple of times. I'd be remiss if I didn't call out that it was pulling the facial care business along with it. We're seeing tremendous growth in skin businesses like Sun Care. And so we're really seeing kind of those two pieces of the business drive a ton of customer engagement and excitement. Um, not, you know, hair care certainly is always a big piece of our business as a drugstore player. It is about a third of our total portfolio from a beauty standpoint, but um, we continue to see growing engagement among customers kind of most rapidly in some of the new across cosmetics and skincare in particular. And looking forward, what can we expect for the rest of the year from CVS? What kind of brands are we going to be seeing? How many launches do you have? Are you rolling out new features? What can you tell us? Oh, boy. Lots, lots to unpack there. So we bring new brands to market almost monthly, and they'll depend um, in terms of door count on whether we're just going to you know, put a toe in the water in beauty in real life or whether we're going to put it in our full chain. Um, but we've got some exciting brands coming to market, like Fig One is one I'm super excited about, just hit shelves, I think this week, just saw it this morning, actually. Um, and that is a facial care brand that has a very cool formulation story, fantastic packaging that actually protects the product and keeps it efficacious. So we're excited about things like that. Um, we'll be bringing some new sun care to market that we're excited about later on this year and expanding some brands and some platforms in that space that you'll see on our shelves in a couple of months depending on your market, maybe by the time this is public. Um, and we will continue to bring more excitement through our skincare centers. So we're um, working on brands that we're adding to that space right now. And we're working to add that concept to an additional couple of doors later this year so we can continue to learn and figure out as quickly as we can how to bring that experience to more customers so that we can, with our footprint, provide access to skin health that isn't necessarily there today for everybody, provide access to answers and, and support for their problem solution situations in a way that we think they're not finding maybe with quite the ease we'd like. And so we're excited to be a part of that journey for customers as we see that skincare business continue to become a big piece of a customer's total beauty and wellness journey. Andrea, thank you so much for being here. Thanks so much, Liz. This was fun. I appreciate your time. 
Thanks for tuning into the Glossy Beauty Podcast. Our theme music is by Otis McDonald. Please don't forget to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening. See you next week.